listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Good morning, Faith Church. This is a bit odd way to start a video. I feel awkward. It, it is a little bit awkward, but... But we, we, we need people to get used to seeing us with our facial coverings on because if you've been following Faith News, services will resume on July 5th. Yeah, which is awesome. We're so excited to be able to worship with you all. We're or Maybe not all, yes. but as many as we can get in here. Yeah. And we've, you've read all the details, so we've got a reservation system yes. and time and you know, all of that yeah. stuff. All in the collective sense. Yes, all as in, uh, yeah, all y'all. Um, but Marion County, of course, says we have to wear face coverings when yes. we're in the building for religious yeah. service. So it's, we know it's going to be frustrating for some, for a lot, yeah. um, not the least for you. You have a two-year-old. Yeah. And right now the Marion County guidelines following the CDC guidelines say that anyone over two should wear a mask and anyone under two should not wear a mask. So for two-year-olds, I guess they... Maybe on their birthday, yeah. they just get to do whatever they want. She can do, I mean, she does whatever she wants anyway. So. Right, so it's going to be tough for her to be here and wear a mask and right. yeah. But so. we're going to be following the guidelines that have been right. established for us, right. but that's not going to keep us from gathering Absolutely. on July 5th. Yeah, and being faithful to worship. Yes. Do you like of, that segue? Yes, what a segue. Speaking of faithfulness, right? that's the flavor of the fruit of the Spirit that we're That on. is the flavor of the fruit I'm of sure the Spirit. I'm sure you didn't plan that at all. Oh, no. So Nathan, you are, let's see, fourth of eight boys, yep. right? I'm first of five. Yes. Were you ever, like, did you ever get to the point where you were left in charge of the other brothers while your parents went out on a date night or something like that? Well, initially I was the younger one. Right. So my older brothers were in charge. But I think there was probably some scenarios when I was in high school, my other older brothers were in college and I still had younger brothers at home where, yes, yeah. and you I was had, the one left in charge. You had enough younger brothers. You still had some that needed watching. I was the oldest. So there was many times I was left in charge. By the time I went to college, my parents had given up. They just let them go feral, yeah, basically, exactly. without anyone watching yeah. them. But I hated it. I hated watching my younger brothers. You hated brothers. that responsibility? I hated that responsibility because they would make fun of me. They would call me names, they would disobey, they wouldn't do what mom and dad had told us to do. Hey, we're going, we're gonna be gone for three hours, when we get back, we want you to do these things, right? Yeah. And they, they would not do them at all. It's almost like your brothers knew you didn't have the same authority. That yeah, it almost did. is. And I, I mean, there were, there were times where like, I, I was like, come on guys, this is what mom and dad said. And other times where I just joined in the debauchery and ate cereal for dinner and watched MacGyver reruns. Yeah. 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 All right, so probably all of us have been in a situation like that before, where yeah. we have a job to do when the boss is away. Right, right. Or, yeah, kids who have chores to do when their parents are gone. Whether it's, it's like that situation with kids, or the boss gives you a project but doesn't oversee you, or says, hey, work from home and report your hours, and you're like, yeah, I pretty much work for eight hours, or you graduate and move to college and live on your own for the first yeah. time, right? The, the question I'm driving at here is, kind of what, what moderates our behavior when the authority figure isn't in the room? What keeps us focused and on track, uh, moving in the right direction for our own good when there isn't anyone making us do that? Like what keeps the mice from play when the cat's away? Yeah, and I'm guessing that you're driving at I'm driving the seventh at flavor. The seventh flavor of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness, exactly. I mean, here's where we are, where we're going with just two left after this, but faithfulness is what answers this question. What keeps us headed in the right direction 
when there is no immediate external prodding to do so. Faithfulness. Yeah. So there might be a, a couple different ways we could answer that question, but what you're saying is the answer we're looking at is faithfulness. Exactly. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is what uh, keeps us moving in the right direction. It's the, the measure of our ability to fulfill our obligations or do our duty mm-hmm. uh, or to put it maybe more softly, I define it this way. It, it's the ability to, to work for the joy of bringing joy to our parent or boss or master yeah. uh, to use the language of the story that we're about to look at. So that's, that's where we're going, right? The yeah. parable of the talents. Exactly. And I think we, we like the end of the story. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more going on. So you're going to help us walk through There that. is. And we're, we're going to walk through it. And as we do that, we're going to walk through it in these kind of three main uh, movements, the story, the question, the virtue. Now, we're going to take plenty of time just rolling around in the story. Because uh, I know you just read it in your household or, or with your small group or over Zoom or wherever you are worshiping. Uh, but there's some stuff I want to pull out that I think is going to be key to helping us understand it. And then it, it's going to drive us back to this question and help us discuss the virtue or the fruit, the flavor of faithfulness. So All right. let's pick it up with the story. Heading yeah. number one, we're going to start in verse 14. It's Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and right. turn there. I'm not there yet. Uh, that's all right. Continue I've got it here too. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, what is it? If you're reading this story in, you know, just all by itself, you may miss that it is the kingdom of heaven. It kind of borrows the introduction from the yeah. previous story. There's a bunch of stories in a row here that Jesus is telling about the, the, the need for watchfulness, for faithfulness in anticipation of the coming kingdom. Now, uh, this story kind of goes beyond all the others, where the others say, like, be ready, be watchful. This says you actually also have to be working. There's things you need to be doing. It's like when we were left with a list of chores when our parents yeah. took off. It's, you, you don't just watch for them coming down the street. Like, you also do the chores while they're gone. You mean it doesn't, this isn't referring to when someone watches the window to see when they're pulling up the driveway so you oh, can yeah. scramble and clean up the Real mess Real quickly made? clean up the mess? No, no, that, I never did that. I don't think I did either. Yeah, right, right. So anyway, the kingdom of heaven or your parents is coming. Yeah. It's coming and Jesus says we got to watch for it, be ready for it, be reliable to work while we're waiting for it. So it is the kingdom of yeah, heaven. Yeah, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, this is uh, almost like a, um, it's like the head of a company going to his VPs and saying, hey, I have to go take care of some business at another branch or elsewhere or whatever. Here's what you need to work on while I'm gone. Um, or it's uh, like a parent giving the kid responsibility while they go off and, and yeah. run an errand or something. Like, uh, these servants are given a responsibility in the management of the household with the implication that there'll be a share in the profit, in the reward. Right? It's, it's a whole big household business kind of thing. Um, think of it like a family farm. Like, yeah. If everybody works, everybody benefits. Yeah. Okay? And it's a huge responsibility. Verse 15 says, uh, then, to one, he gave five talents. To another, two talents. To another one, one. To each according to his ability. Yeah. But a, a talent is about how much money you would make if you worked your entire adult life uh, 40 hours a week at McDonald's. So we're not talking about $100 or $500. No, we're talking about five talents is five individuals' lifetime 
uh, earning potential. Yeah, of just a day laborer. Of a day laborer, yeah. yeah, yeah, minimum wage. Okay, so it, he's giving them something like really, yeah, exactly, really valuable. To to one, he gives five lifetime McDonald's wages. To another, two lifetimes McDonald's wages. To another, one lifetimes McDonald's wages. None of these numbers are small. This is what I love. They're not just random distributions either. He gave to each according to their the servant's ability yeah to manage it well so the one who had shown himself already to be faithful was given five the next one two the next one one so this statement here at the end according to his ability yes might make us feel a little uncomfortable or maybe seem unfair it's not it doesn't feel that fair but of course what is least fair is to give to someone more responsibility than they are capable of handling so he's and, and no boss, I mean, every boss does this. They, they look at their employees and say, you can handle this, I'll give you this job. You can handle that, I'll give you this job. I mean, he yeah. is being fair to yeah. his employees' yeah. abilities and skills yeah. and what they can do with the money. So what happens next after the master leaves? Yeah, so master leaves, verse 16. Uh, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, uh, literally put them to work and made five talents more. And then the next verse, so also he who had two talents went at once and traded with them, and he made two talents more. Uh, So both these first two servants immediately, they take what they've been given, they take the cash assets that their their boss has given them, they immediately invest them. How? We don't know. They put them to work. They uh, invested in real estate. They started a successful chain of lemonade stands. They, you know, planted a vineyard. I don't know what they did, but immediately they took the money and and put it into entrepreneurial, like, good work. Yeah, they knew what to do, and it required effort, but they did it. Right, exactly. Hey, if you hand me, you know, um, let's say, I'm doing the math quickly in my head, $30 million. Um, That's five talents or so. You hand me $30 million, I know how to make $30 million more. That's what these guys were able to do. It just, however they did it. But the third guy, there's obviously a contrast here. He who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So immediate contradiction. This is like the biblical equivalent of hiding your money in your mattress. Uh, Maybe some argue it's safer than depositing it with the bankers of the day because there's no formalized, there's no FDIC, there's no like insured deposits. But basically he went for a zero risk, zero reward investment strategy. Yeah. You know, let's pick up in verse 19, okay? So now, after a long time, uh, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. There's a delay. And this is what I think is curious. It's a key part of the story that this is after a long time. They were required or, or put in a position where they had to work continuously yeah. without knowing when the master is going to return. Yeah. Uh, there, so there's, there's this responsibility to be reliable with a, a, a funds or with an investment or an entrustment, if that's a word, with yeah. what's been entrusted to you without yeah. knowing for how long. And then the master shows up and settles accounts. He says, hey, let's, let's talk. Yeah. What'd you do with the money that I, um, did you manage it like I would have? Yeah. You know, like a good servant. So I'm just summarize, you know, what happens next. Yeah. The guy with five made five more. Yeah. The guy with two made two more. And to both, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Or, sorry, he says, faithful over little. I will put you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Yeah. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we see that word faithful. Mm-hmm. And we're connecting that to their behavior and 
the behavior what they while did he, while, he's while gone. he was away. Exactly. And two great servants. Now for the third one. Yeah. Are we going to hear the same thing? Probably not. Probably not. Servant number three. And uh, here I want to admit, I think I've been reading this parable all wrong. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, verse 24 um, this is what the guy says, right? So uh, he who had received the one talent comes and comes forward, says to his master, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid, he says. I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. I mean, even just by the tone in which he says this. Maybe this is where you're going. Maybe it isn't. But it almost seems like he's trying to turn the blame back on his master. I think he is. And where I misread this parable is I have been taking the third servant as his word. I thought he was accurately describing the character of his boss. Mm. Okay, that he was describing this guy as, as hard, as cruel, or hard-hearted, um, reaping where you did not sow up, so exploitative, taking advantage of other yeah. people's working, gathering where he scattered no seed, um, going in and essentially um, making his fortune through pillaging the work of others. Yeah. Uh, that he's the kind of guy who is willing to exploit others, oppress others, that he's willing to put his own servants in positions where they're going to be resented by others. Uh, that this is a guy, a master, who uh, just is not not a great guy. And, and so you if that's true, you can kind of look at this third servant as like, well, here's the guy who's sticking it to the man and saying yeah. like, hey, I'll just, I'll give you back what you gave me, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like you. I'm not going to go invest your money the way you would and exploit people and oppress people. And, and I'm not going to let just, you exploit me. Exactly. By, I'm right? going to do this work for you and, and, yeah. and earn you more money. No, here's just what you gave me. Here so he's like, I am going to do the bare minimum possible. Um, but almost like, you know, a, a heroic resistance fighter. Yeah. Right. So that's not the character of the master. I don't think so because it's a parable of the kingdom. Yeah. So if the master is the master of the kingdom, and if the master is God, this is not what God's like. He's not exploitative or hard-hearted or cruel or merciless. Yeah. I mean, he's not grasping for profit anywhere he can get it. or um, he, He's not taking all the reward and then um, taking none of the blame. Yeah. Or, or, you know, grinding his servants underneath his own thumb or his own desire to be glorified. Uh, that's not at all what God is like. So I've been misreading this parable th this, this whole time. I, I think when the first two servants saw their master, they saw a wise and benevolent and generous and trusting and trustworthy and faithful master who encouraged them to take what he trusted to them use the skills and abilities they had, use the knowledge they had, invest, work, build. And as part of that, that sort of the natural culmination of that is to, to enter into the joy of the household that is uh, greater than it would be without the, the work and shared among all members of the household. It's like, it, it's almost the way it's worded, like a joy that, that exceeds the bounds of the story, that bursts out of the story. Yeah. Uh, that, that's how those two guys see him. And, and but when the last guy looks at his master, I mean, he sees an exploitative and grasping and oppressive, cruel boss. Not because that's the way the guy is. I think because he looks at others and basically sees himself, what he yeah. would do if he were in their situation. Right? So he says in verse 25, because of this perception, so I was afraid. 
I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent, your money in the ground. Here you have what is yours. I mean, in, in other words, um, he's saying, you know, knowing wrongly, yeah. knowing what you're like. I knew that if I worked, I wouldn't get any share of the profit. I knew that if I tried and failed, I'd take all of the blame. I knew that it didn't matter what, what good I did, you would take the credit and all of the profit for it. So here, you get, you get back exactly what you trusted me with. Here, have it back. Almost even then assuming that's all his master wanted. Yeah, just keep it from, from going less. I don't, think, I don't think he's afraid. Now that I kind of see this parable in a new light, I don't think he's afraid. I think he's mad. Mm. I, think he's, I think he's bitter. I think that he's mad that the master didn't trust him as much as the other guys. Didn't yeah. think as much of his abilities because he only gave him one lifetime's McDonald's wages, yeah. not two or five. Yeah. Right. I, I think he's, he's resentful that they got more of the blessings of the house than he did. Um, maybe he's hurt that his master didn't trust him. Uh, but bottom line, I think, I think he's bitter. Yeah. I think he's bitter that uh, his boss um, didn't treat him as well as he treated others. Yeah didn't treat him as well as he wanted to be treated and or as he deserves to be treated right yeah um and so doesn't deserve to be treated well in return so he says here's your money back exactly mm -hmm. how you gave it to me you can have what was yours yeah. to begin with right i took care of your money but that's all you get you don't get me yeah you don't get my heart you don't get my faithfulness you don't get my devotion you don't get my love you don't get my loyalty you you can have uh, all the work that I've done, this is ironic, all the work yeah. that this guy does is, is the work it takes to avoid doing work. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, is the work to dig a hole in the yeah. ground and avoid investing yeah. or working and with And this the was money. a long time. So after he dug yeah. the hole and buried the money, they what did he do? to watch it. I don't, <laughs> right. What did he do for the whole rest of it? Yeah. And he's, by giving this one, here's what you gave me, I gave it back. He's saying, yeah. you know what? You don't deserve my work, my forethought, my foresight. You don't work. You don't deserve my proactive labor. Uh, you don't deserve to be served. So the master responds, how? Well After done, all he says good if, no, he does not say, <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. Because the guy says, take your money and go. And well, verse 26, here's how the master <laughs> responds. You wicked and slothful servant. And there's a bit of sarcasm here. Oh, so you knew that I'm hard and cruel and oppressive and all those things. Then you ought to have at least given the money to the bankers, and I would have gotten my own back, but with interest, like yeah. the bare, bare minimum. minimum you could have done to, to, to expand the wealth the way, you know, I'm trusting you to do. The absolute bare minimum would be to give it to the bankers, and you wouldn't even do that. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't go well, right? Right, so then the master, he takes the money and gives it, to the first servant, right, the one who already had a lot and proved that he could be faithful with it and yeah. gives it and says, you know, for, to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And the, quote, worthless, uh, meaning you're, you're no good to me, yeah. servant, uh, is cast into the outer darkness outside the, the light and the safety of the house where all there is is the wailing and the weeping of despair and bitterness and abandonment and regret. Wow. I mean, 
it's quite the story mm -hmm. that Jesus tells. Um, probably a lot of us are, are somewhat familiar with this yeah. story, and yet hopefully we've been able to, to see it in a little bit of a new, <clears throat> a new light. Mm -hmm. um, but what are we supposed to learn from this? Why does Jesus tell this story? What are, what's the takeaway he wants us to have? Right, that's exactly the right question. Right. Okay, so as we move through this from the story to the question is, what do we do with this? And remember, we're looking at this story because we're exploring what faithfulness yeah. means, like uh, getting a picture of faithfulness from, from Scripture as a fruit of the Spirit, of, as one of the nine flavors of the fruit yeah. of the Spirit. And you remember the, the question that I brought up at the beginning of the sermon, what keeps us headed in the right direction when there's no immediate external prodding to do so? Obviously, this servant could work or he would not have been given one full lifetime's McDonald's salary. Yeah, or so been he, fired in the past. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So mm -hmm. apparently when the master's there, he looks productive and like a member of the house. But when the master's gone, it proves that it, yeah. there is no faithfulness there. So this, this is the, the question that this parable forces us to ask. What keeps us moving in the right direction when there isn't any of that external yeah. sort of impetus to do, to, to move. Yeah. So we see the good examples of the first two servants. Right, yes. And, and, the, and the bad example of the third servant. Exactly. And I, there's I, a contrast. Exactly. And, and I wanted to bring that contrast out because you see good, faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. I'll put you over much. I Trustable. I didn't want to put faithful twice, right? <laughs> Whereas the other servant, wicked and slothful servant, you're worthless. So good versus wicked or evil. Faithful, as in reliable, as in hardworking, yeah. versus slothful. Uh, trustable with... Or trustful, Trustful I think is word. with uh, being able to take something of economic value yeah. and expand it, versus worthless, being of little to no economic value. Uh, there's, I mean, it's a ton of contrast. And, and the contrast between the servants, all it, it comes down to their perception of their master. The difference between the first two servants and the third one lies completely in how they see their boss, their master, uh, the head of the kingdom, the guy in charge. It, it comes out real clearly in what the servants say to their master when he comes back. So uh, again, I want to put this up so that everybody can see it and see the difference. So the two, first two servants say, Master, you delivered to me. The third servant says, Master, I knew you to be cruel or hard. Yeah. Right? Delivered, it, it doesn't just mean, you know, you handed this over to me like the UPS guy uh, hands you an Amazon package or something like this. This, this is a, a word for you trusted something valuable to me. Yeah. It's, it, they're saying to him, you entrusted me with a portion of your life's work, a not insignificant portion of your yeah. life's work, your, your investment or your, uh, your capital, your net worth, your however you want to put it. I mean, this yeah. is the word for when you go in and you have the handshake with the financial planner and you're like, and he says, hey, you're trusting me with this. I'll be faithful with it. Yeah. I will do with what you've given me, what you would do with it if you were here. So based upon how they say this, there's almost like this inherent recognition mm -hmm. of what the master is actually doing, what it, he's yeah. actually giving what, them. It, and what he what he's must be like to give them these he's generous, trusting, uh, kind. I mean, he, he's, he's the kind of guy who's willing to say, I'm going to invest in yeah. you. 
Whereas the third servant sees his master and he's like, I, I know how oppressive and exploitive and uh, how bad of a boss you are. So they, it's the same person. Yeah. And they're seeing him radically differently. And because they see him differently, they, they respond differently. I, um, all three servants saw their master's character as the key to their own action or, or the mm. impetus to their own action. You trusted me with something incredibly valuable. I want to do right by you. You trusted me mm-hmm. with a portion of your life's work. I, I want I to do, do what you would do with that. Yeah. Um, you are an insensitive, arrogant boss who exploits his employees. I'm going to do what I think is right yeah. based on how I think you are. Yeah. Uh, here's what it comes down to. Uh, faith in your master is faithfulness to your master. In other words, if I had to expand it, like, like faith in and a, a knowledge of a, a trust in the character of the master will directly translate into faithfulness to your master. I don't think you can have one without the other. Yeah. Faith in who God is will lead inevitably to faithfulness to God. We'll become like what we think he is. So we kind of answered the question, and I'm guessing now we're headed towards the virtue. Yeah, the virtue, exactly. Yep, the virtue of of faithfulness itself. I I use the word virtue instead of flavor here just for variety's sake, and also because virtue comes with it, the sense of it's habitual. You build second nature through habit. Uh, the habit, the faithfulness habit is the habit of, since you, tr- since you have the habit of trusting what your master is like, it develops the habit of being faithful to your master. Th- this is, faithfulness is what we should see in people who are growing in Christ-likeness, who are growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, faithfulness, which I've defined as it's to work for the joy of bringing joy to our master. And I think this definition comes right out of the parable. Look, look at verse 29. Um, if, you, if you turn there, it's... Yeah, he says, for to everyone who has, right, has will what? more be given, and yep. he will have more an what? abundance. Abundance of what? Does it say? But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Right. And what, what does he have that will be taken away? Not sure. Right. So this is where I, th- I think this verse, it, it's almost poetic in its ambiguity. I think intentionally ambiguous uh, because we, we need to read back into the story to understand, okay, is this just about money? Is it just that, well, the person who can manage a lot of money will be given more and the person who can't manage any money will have it all taken away? I don't think that's the point of the parable. I think what Jesus is getting at here and leaving it purposely vague because you got to work for these kind of things. Yeah. You, you got to mine this gold. Uh, he's saying to, to everyone who has faithfulness, well done, good and faithful. To everyone who has faithfulness, more joy mm. will be given. You get to be part of the joy of the household of the kingdom even yeah. more. The, the more you, it's like, you know, you and I both, are kind of handy around the garage and stuff like that. Like the more involved in a project you are, yeah. like when we were digging fence posts at your house to put up lights or burying cable or stuff like that, it's like yeah. the more you were involved in the work, the more joy you have at the completion of yeah. the work, the more you're like, I did that part, yeah. right? The more faithful you are, the more joy you'll be given. But from the one who has not faithfulness, 
even what joy he has will be taken away. Mm, that's a good word. Yeah, that, that's why I think the definition of faithfulness is to work for the joy of bringing joy to our master. Because as we are faithful to the, the king of the kingdom, even when he's not here, knowing that our work will bring joy to him when he comes back, and that we will be, it's, it's the natural end of that, to be part of that joy. I mean, that's what faithfulness is, to continue working for the joy of the master, even when he's not around, uh, e even when he's absent, even when he's a long time delayed, um, even when you're tempted to lose trust in him, mm. even when what he's asked is hard, um, even when what he's asked requires sacrifice, yeah. uh, even when what he's asked means you're not going to be as liked or is included. Um, even when what he's asked is unglamorous and small and unnoticed. Yeah. All right. So you got me. Okay. Uh, I'm convicted a little bit okay. of All right. recognizing a lack of faithfulness in my own life. Okay. Um, you know, as, as I prepared to sit here alongside of you looking at faithfulness, I'm like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty faithful person. I'm yeah pretty reliable. Yeah. Um, but as I sit here and listen to what Jesus says about faithfulness and, and recognizing maybe a lack of faithfulness in my own life, I, I recognize that faithfulness doesn't just mean the horizontal relationships we have with one another, but um, like with the other flavors of the fruit of the Spirit, there's also a vertical component uh, between our us and our faithfulness to our Master. So, so where, do we, where do we go with this? Uh, how, do we, how do we grow in, in this flavor of the fruit, and, and how does it kind of work out in daily life, not just between one another, but also with our relationship with God? Yeah, it's, you're getting right to the point here. There's three things I would say that we, we need to be able to um, keep in mind in order to grow in faithfulness. And, and first is the trust. What has God entrusted you with? We have to do an inventory and say, well, what has God entrusted me with? What, what, what's he given to me that he expects me to do something with? And I'm guessing you're not just talking about the amount of money in our bank. No, 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 not at all. A lot of things fall into this category, like skills and abilities, your health, uh, your family of origin, your upbringing, yeah, your wealth, your assets if you have them. Your um, culture. Your culture, the period of history into which you were born, yeah. your opportunities that you have because of who you are and where you live. Uh, things like your reputation, your knowledge, your social position, your uh, employment, your position at work as a boss or uh, at school, uh, whatever. It, I mean, even your salvation, your relationship with God himself. Um, I guess basically, if anything in life, God has trusted to you, right? All of life is grace. Everything yeah. is a gift from God. All of it he's trusted to us to be stewarded well. So the implicit question is, what are you going to do with it? Right. Are you going to put it to work or buried in a hole in the ground? And then sit around waiting for the master to return. And, say, <laughs> and then give back to him and say, hey, here's what you gave me. wasn't worth doing anything with, yeah. but you can have it back. Yeah, well, so there's, there's the trust, right? But the second thing is the, the work itself. I mean, if, to know what to do with once you kind of do that inventory and say, oh, wow. I mean, I do have all these things God has trusted me with. What am I supposed to do with it? Well, you have to know what your work is. 
um, I don't mean like what your job should be or what your vocation is. I, I mean, you need to know what God expects of you in order to know what to do with what you've been given. And how much time you have. This is a whole nother sermon <laughs> or really sermon series on what we are as people, as children of God. Uh, so I'm going to summarize real short. Uh, our work is to become, to be and to become fully human image bearers of God, bearing his, his image, his love, his forgiveness, his restorative justice to the world around us. Like I said, that's at least 12 sermons. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to leave it as that. But we are to bear God's love, forgiveness, and restorative justice to the world around us in both worship and in going and serving, in, in mission, in bringing peace, that little pockets of peace around our homes and around our workplaces, right? If that's the work, well, what has God trusted with you for that work? Man, now you get to be creative. Skills, abilities, uh, job, economic position, geographic position, like all of that, all of that is raw material that God can use uh, to show his love, forgiveness, and restorative justice to the world around him. Like, man, there's, I don't know what it is for you, for, I'm still figuring it out for me, much less for everybody who's not sitting in here with us, yeah. right? Uh, but that's the adventure of being a faithful servant of the master is you've been given so much incredible stuff and an incredible calling and job. Now, what are you going to do with it yeah. to show God's love, forgiveness, and restorative justice to the world around you? It's, it's incredible. So what has God trusted you with? Now, what's the work you get to do with that? And all the while, okay, what's the character of the God who has given you these things and given you this task? And I think maybe some of us struggle with this part mm. because we maybe by default mm -hmm. fall into the category of the third servant. And yeah, maybe it, sometimes we see God as cruel at yeah. times. Maybe not all the time. Maybe we see his goodness and his love, but when we see what God has trusted to others. Right, but and not we to look, us. Right, and we look at what he has trusted or not trusted to yeah. us, we begin to doubt God's goodness, we begin to doubt his faithfulness, and we begin to see him as a cruel master, not right. a good and faithful one. Right, we look at him and say, I, I mean, you haven't treated me as well as you've treated others. You haven't treated me as well as I deserve. You haven't treated me as well as I would treat myself. You don't deserve to be served. Uh, that is the default position of the human heart, uh, is to say to God, you don't deserve to be served. But of course, the character of God comes through so uh, clearly when we think about his own faithfulness to us in Christ. And when we think about God's own giving of himself to us in Jesus, uh, that that. To, to win us back, to bring us back to him, to buy a way for us to be back in fellowship with him and communion with him and union with him, uh, to share in his joy. He gave up more than just five lifetimes McDonald's wages. He gave up his very life uh, so that we could be in the house and here. Well done. Jesus took God's condemnation and casting into outer darkness so that we could be in the house as sons and daughters and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
that's the character of God. And when we, when we see that, I, mean, we will, I think we can only be as faithful as, as we think God is. We can only be as reliable as we think God is. We, we're not going to run ahead of how good God is in our own goodness. Uh, so it's faith in the master that leads to faithfulness to the master. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. And I mean, he's entrusted with us the, the very inheritance of Christ, oh, man, right? Yeah. That we are co-heirs with Christ. Right. So not only did he the take the dark infinite yeah. riches and oh, it's, yeah. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. Now, let me wrap this up. I, I want to wrap it all up. There's a article that I, I often send to couples that Jenna and I are doing premarital counseling with, Jenna, my wife, and uh, it, it's written by a Christian ethicist, a guy named Lewis Smeads, way back in 1983. Way back. Way back. <laughs> I was in diapers. You were not yet even a glimmer in your parents' eye, right? So uh, he, he says this. He says, whenever you and I make and keep a promise, which is another way of saying are faithful to what <laughs> we said faithful. we would do, when yeah. we are faithful, we are as close to being like God as we can ever be. When, when we make and keep a promise, he goes on in this article to essentially argue that, that even who we are, our identity, the core of our identity comes from the sum total of the promises that we make and that we keep to one another. We are never more like God than when we make and keep a promise, when we have both the, um, the courage to make a promise and the courage, the long, slow, regular, daily courage to keep a promise. Because our, our faithfulness yeah. is just a reflection of God's faithfulness to us. And when we're faithful, yeah. when we keep a promise, it brings joy to us. Yes, we get to work. And we get to participate. In we get to joy. be part of that joy. We get yeah. to work for the joy of bringing joy to God. Yeah. That is faithfulness, yeah. to see everything we do, all that we say, all the obligations we put ourselves under, all the promises we make, all the vows and oaths that we take as opportunities to work for the joy of bringing joy to our master. Yeah. And how amazing is that going to be when we get to partake in the kingdom, the oh, holy realized kingdom, and know that we, I mean, it's not because of us, no. but we were able to participate in that. And we get to experience that joy because we were Man. faithful to our faithful master. Enter into the joy of your master. I'm not sure there's any better words. Yeah. Can I pray for us? Yeah, I do. Father, you are a faithful master. You are a good master. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, not just as an example, but as one that we can trust, one that we know that what you ask of us is not too much, but you entrust each of us according to our abilities. Father, I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as part of the body of Christ that we would, uh, yes, have the courage to make promises, uh, but also have the courage to keep the promises we make to one another, uh, but also to be faithful to you in what you have called us to. That we would not diminish what you have entrusted to us. Uh, we would not look at others and, and think of you as cruel, but we would see your goodness to us because of the grace and love you showed us by sending your Son uh, to be cast out into darkness in our place. Thank you for the inheritance we have in Christ. Help us to be 
more faithful uh, people of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, church. Hey, we'll see you live in just a few weeks. Yeah. It's going to be great.